0: These jacked up monkeys from. Oh, huh. Wait a minute, that's... I see we got the Battle Dome boys in the house. It's DoA, trying to make a name Mike for Baudet. yourselves, trying to get yourself on a highly rated show, I guess. We've got front row tickets, team money, right there in the front oh, Now let me tell you, bunch of low budget, karate stars, something low budget <laughs> i want to tell you something to make your ass cross that rail and i'll beat the hell out of all five of you chumps yeah. i want to tell you the bad blood that developed on
1: battle dome between wcw and the battle dome warriors have exploded here tonight it's
0: a match, Jack. Judy Bagwell on a pole match. You and Billy by Bagwell on the pole match. Renato, 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 Renato. He's got the,
1: he's got the belt still out. Last week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time, I could become the WCW champion.
0: Why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this.
2: Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment that is now a holiday special. Uh, we are still part of the post-wrestling family. I'm Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, might I say, great decorating job here on the satellite.
0: I mean, it is good to uh, be talking with you again, my brother, and I appreciate that, man. I'm glad to be seen, because that, that's all everybody wants is to be seen. And, you know, I got got our little Charlie Brown Christmas tree over here in the corner. We've got our commemorative Buff Bagwell meditation candle over here, because I know that's your man.
2: Hey, l- listen, after this episode, do not say that.
0: <laughs> we got some Sprite Cranberry laid out on the table, because, you know, in case we have guests here. But I'm, I'm confused, Brian, because... The last time we were here on the satellite of hate, we told the listeners that, that that we were calling it quits. We we were putting a pin in the experiment. So why are we back here? Like, why why have you called me during this festive season back to the satellite, man? Because I know you don't want me to watch WCW again.
2: Well. <laughs> It's Christmas time, it's the season of giving, so I figured I would give you uh, a gift. I figured we would watch your favorite ever episode of Nitro, because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the beginning of the Battle Dome invasion. Uh, that was the reason why I wanted to, listen to, uh, to watch this episode. But isn't it crazy, Nate, as luck would have it, tying into our other show... This episode aired the night before the 2000 election, which I can promise is the only election you and I will discuss this year.
0: Mm, so what you're saying is in an alternative timeline, T Money, Terry Cruz could have been the president. And <laughs> well, he would eventually play a president 6 years later. <laughs> and what what you're, so what you're saying is T Money could have been the president and uh Al Gore could have been a battle dome warrior. That's that's where we could have gone. <laughs>
2: So where we could have gone, um, but uh, but Nate, uh, <laughs> it has been a little over a year since we ended this experiment because, um, frankly, I got too busy uh, working to continue doing the show. So for this reunion special, it seemed only right to bring on the guy responsible for me being too busy to continue doing the show. Uh, joining us this week, you know him from Hot ninety seven, ESPN, and Complex. You do not know him from the WWE Network. Currently, Peter Rosenberg is with us.
1: Not currently, no, but you never know what will happen in the world of professional wrestling. What's up, guys? Uh, Not much. Thank you for bringing it to the table with us today. Oh, well done. And by the (laughs) way, since we don't know exactly what will ever happen in professional wrestling, I encourage you, and I'm talking to you specifically, Brian, because, Nate, I don't know your work as well, to not say anything so inflammatory on this episode that it will prevent me from ever going back again. Thank you. In advance.
2: I don't know, you might not get hired at uh for a Vince Russo show uh, anytime soon. If we uh <laughs> okay. Oh no no, we can trash that as much as <laughs> I think trashing WCW
1: as much as we want will never affect me. I'm confident.
0: <laughs> hey, we 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 we're not going to get in the way of anybody's bag on this show. Uh except for Buff Bagwell
2: maybe. maybe you know, he got his own way on this show. <laughs> uh but Peter, uh before we we jump into things, we always like to uh know where our our guests were uh, in the year 2000. So uh, when this episode was airing, November 2000, uh, where were you living? What were you doing? uh, And what was your wrestling uh, lifestyle like? This
1: was, um, if it's November 2000, it means it's the beginning of my fourth year at Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started there fall 97. So yeah, yeah. Feels like the beginning of my fourth year at Maryland. Um, And I am completely checked out of wrestling. Oof. In 97, 98, when I first got to Maryland, kids on my hall would get together to watch uh, Nitro and Raw. And I vaguely remember, you know, popping in. And it's funny because I I still was joking around a lot about wrestling. Uh, One friend of mine, we would... There are old handy cam videos of us having like mock matches in the common room (laughs) on our floor. But I wasn't watching. It's just so funny that in retrospect during college with nothing to do when I could have been watching the most exciting time ever in wrestling. I just wasn't into it. You know, I I knew who Austin and The Rock were. I knew Goldberg was. I knew Hulk Hogan to become a bad guy. I knew that stuff but i just didn't care fully fully only engrossed in, in hip hop and my college radio show that's that is all that was all i was doing so completely checked out and after watching this episode as much as i could get through um <laughs> i felt i made a great decision in retrospect
0: <laughs> you you were, you were certainly validated brother uh but but if <laughs> you weren't watching during the peak what got you back in eventually
1: you know it's it's funny um i got back in around 05 um, I, I started, I was doing, I started working at a, uh, sports talk radio station and, uh, WWE was coming to town for shows and they offered me, um, Taz and Michael Cole as a guest. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like I, I, I vaguely knew who they were and was like, yeah, I'm down to have them on my show. Now at the time, if you recall, uh, this would be pretty detailed, but Taz and Cole were really trying to make it happen in radio at that time mm. um, as as partners. They really wanted to see if they could get like a, a radio thing going. So I think they were really into doing media at that time. You know, Cole's role wasn't quite what it is now. Um, he was really just a commentator um, and not, you know, head of all the broadcasters and stuff like that. It was still, in 05, it was still not the, the, the company that it is right now. So they, they were interested in doing other things. So I think they liked doing radio and, and funny enough, they came up and did the show and me and Cole were completely contentious the entire time. (laughs) Like I was, I was dissing radio. uh, I was dissing wrestling commentary and like mocking him for doing that. Like I was a jerk, more or less, I was being like a shock jockey kind of jerk. Um, but also had a good time with them and reminisce on wrestling. And, um probably did the things that I hate now like I used to watch Hulk <laughs> Hogan, uh, Bret Hart, yeah, yeah. So um you know uh so I got to be pretty friendly um with them around Oh five. and then as a result when WWE would come to town I'd get tickets and I'd go. They started sending me all the DVDs and honestly and then I turned on Raw sometime in late 05 and I heard John Cena's music and I heard him use the um, MOP sample at the beginning of his intro and it i remember like the tv was on and i looked over like wait was that mop and really like that it's actually an interesting testament to what like good subtle incorporation of other cultures can do mm-hmm. it really drew me in and made me interested i was like oh if this guy has mop as a sample in his song even if he's kind of cheesy and over the top I know he must be a real hip hop head, like you know, somewhere. And um, Cena is really what kind of brought me in in 05, And at the time, I kind of needed something to distract myself and, and keep myself busy when I was not working. And so I, um, I started watching every week. And you know, I was talking with my uh, my agent Dipperstein recently about how long my return has been. It's been mm-hmm. four, fourteen, almost fourteen straight years of watching it since then.
2: That's uh, it's incredible because I was going to bring up uh, John Cena's beats uh, as a joke as getting you back into wrestling, but uh, it turns out that actually is the case. Um, yeah, it's pretty random. Now, you, you mentioned that. It actually gives us a perfect segue. Uh, with you here, we're going to take a, a quick look back at the hip-hop charts. Now, uh, Peter, what do you think was burning up the rap charts the night of this Nitro?
1: Um, Let's see. It could certainly be Eminem in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um. It could certainly be like some South stuff, some uh, some juvenile or or uh, I don't know. Um, it's you know, Big Pun had died earlier that year.
2: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, Ja Rule? I, I know the I don't answer. Know. I'm. S- I know the answer, and I'm still not sure, because I'll admit, I had never heard of this song until I looked it up for this uh, particular show. The number one hip-hop song in the country was It's Okay by Slim Calhoun, featuring Andre 3000.
1: That that is a piece of <laughs> trivia that I would never ever get. I mean, but it does go to show how big Southern hip hop was at that point because that record is not a huge record outside the South. And like I remember it, but like if it came on, it's not like I'd go, "Oh, that's Slim Calhoun." I mean, that's a <laughs> that is a random that is a random fact. To it. But you gotta love that it's featuring Andre Three Thousand. That's pretty. Well, I know, you, I know you pizza. love that.
2: Yeah, Andre's probably the reason why <laughs> it was. I think if people came for him, not so much the Calhoun of it all. Uh, how about you, Nate? Uh, were, were, were you uh, aware of this song? I'm sure I've heard this song because, as, as you know, I'm a
0: huge Outkast fan. Uh, and, and, yeah, 2000, that's like peak Outkast. You know, we're still a little bit before Speaker Box. Uh, we're after ATL ends. 2000, you're probably talking, what, Stankonia?
1: Uh, yeah, you're getting, you're getting to... Um... Uh, two thousand actually might be around the time they dropped that um compilation, um, the whole Dungeon Family. Yeah, they had whole whole world on Dungeon, it. Yeah, the Dungeon Family compilations right around that, which right around that time I interviewed Outcast. Um, it was the first big interview i did on commercial radio i was doing um, a commercial radio station in dc called wp uh wpgc 95.5 and i was like a i was like the i was the sixth man i did weekends i did like every fill in slot i was starting to get into my um actually no you know what this is just before that because I didn't start doing overnights until I was living in my next apartment in 01. So this predates that, actually. I guess this would be closer right. to, like, a year after and I, um and before they did the Dungeon Family compilation. But, yeah, around a year and a half later was when I did my first ever, like, commercial radio interview where Outcast happened to be in town on a weekend, and so they were relegated to having to do an interview with me. Um, and I really, I really want to they were on the cover of the source and, and, Mm -hmm. and I had them sign it. Um, there's no picture I think from that day, but I do have an autograph. I have to sign. Um, they knew, I told them, I was like, this is my first interview on this station. At the time I'd done a lot of college interviews, but this is my first time doing commercial. And I remember they signed it. Andre wrote tight interview, very professional.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Was this LinkedIn?
1: No, I really appreciated it. Um, so yeah yeah i have I have fond memories of Outkast during this era for sure
0: and and I love like this time in in hip hop, you could have kind of these one off southern groups bubble up, whether you're talking about a slim Calhoun or a, like I remember field Mob was hot for a second mm-hmm. uh oh, nappy, yeah, Root, sure nappy roots yep. had it, nappy roots had a season, yep. <laughs> so it's like yeah, like just these random that, that to me is like kind of the beauty of of hip hop is that. Yeah, you've got these evergreen acts, you know, like an Eminem or a Jay Z. But you can also have, you know, these one or two hit wonders kind of bubble up, and yeah, they can get their shine, and then they 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 move quietly off the stage.
1: And it's funny because the era that comes up in hip hop just a few years later, um, in 0405, that era of hip hop was basically what this era of WCW was. Because mm. <laughs> this is, let's be honest. This episode that you forced me to watch was basically ringtone wrestling. (laughs) Yes. That's where we were at that time. So it's a good fit.
2: Another uh, Peter, you're just lobbing them up for me. Another great uh, transition there because uh, that's where we were in 2000. Let's see where the wrestling world was at this point. Uh, Raw has pulled ahead in a major way. They are having their most profitable year yet in 2000. Kurt Angle had just won the WWF title, and Rikishi was revealed as the man who ran down Steve Austin. However, the most interesting thing that was happening at this time in wrestling was that WWF was actually in negotiations to buy WCW. Now, the deal at the time was that WWF was going to buy WCW, but Nitro and Thunder would continue to air on Turner under uh, kind of the umbrella of, of Vince McMahon. Unfortunately, Viacom had issues with this because they had signed an exclusive deal with Vince that he would not be producing wrestling on other channels. You know, Turner loved this idea because they wanted to keep these shows because Nitro, even at this time period, was still doing above average ratings. They just didn't want to have the company on their books. Viacom eases up on this issue, but WWF by this point had lost so much money on the XFL, they had to walk away from the deal. So it was actually this week that that deal falls apart, and it appears uh, – and then after this is when Eric Bischoff comes in and he puts together a deal to try to buy the company, which also falls apart. Mm. So how do you uh, – so, so Nate, how do you think our world would be different now had that gone through, had a Vince McMahon-produced Nitro and Thunder continued on the Superstations?
0: Honestly, I prefer that to what actually happened. Same, <laughs> <laughs> because yes, yes, Vince would still own everything, but at least give me the illusion that there's competition. What's the old Chris Rock joke? Lie to me, Jerry. Lie to me. You make me feel like I've got something here on 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 the Turner Networks, and you know we see now, current day, how NXT is, where it's it's kind of its own thing under the umbrella of the WWE. Maybe if the right people were put in place, you could have had a sustainable product. With, with uh, Nitro and Thunder, I guess, to a certain extent, if anybody cared about Thunder still at that time, you could have had something sustainable over here. And then that way, whenever you get to the ultimate invasion storyline, it makes more sense instead of I just bought all these guys and we're going to throw them in one show and there's no rhyme or reason to it and it's going to ultimately squander a lot of potential. But yeah, if Vince was able to pull that off, Man, that would have been amazing. That would that would have been great.
2: And and not only that, but had this deal gone through at this time, he would have paid a lot more money for it, which I think would have forced him to uh, take it a little bit more seriously than he did. He also would have access to all of the top guys because he would still be in partnership with Turner. He wouldn't be losing the Goldbergs and uh, you know Nash and Sting. He wouldn't be losing all these guys. He would still have these guys, um, and I I think he would just be. Like I said, he'd be forced to take it more seriously versus, you know, six months later, he pays $2 million, gets the video library, the name rights, and a lot of contracts for guys he didn't care about.
0: So why would you tell me this 20 years later, Brian, man? <laughs> why are why you trying to mess up my Kwanzaa? Like, is that what we doing here? This, <laughs> yeah, this please week? don't mess with someone's Kwanzaa. Thank please. you. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate that.
2: It's not right. We have waited long enough. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's Nitro. Oh.
0: On a minute. Woo! Is this in new CEO? Just who in the hell do you think you are? I'm your CEO, and you, my friend, woo! Can do nothing about it.
2: We open with a recap of last week's show, which had the returning Ric Flair revealed as the new CEO of WCW, which would explain some of their financial decisions that year. Sean Stasiak then cuts a promo on Kevin Nash, and Scott Steiner challenged world champion Booker T to a world title match. Uh, Nate, I got to say, it's kind of mind-blowing. It has been months since we watched any of these Nitros. Booker T, still the WCW champion. They actually did stick with him.
0: Yes, and I'm glad they did because even on this show, when you talk about performers that stand out, Booker T is one of those top two or three guys on the show that stands out because he's still trying. He's still out there giving 100% effort, and dude looks like a million bucks. I'm, I'm happy that they kept the belt on him.
2: Uh, Peter, how much of this era of Booker T's career uh, have you have you watched? Not
1: much. Um, pieces, you know, li- little bits here and there. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Booker T fan. Um, you know, it's funny. When I first got to Hot 97 in 07, we made these flyers for my show. and It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, I'm just realizing this for the first time. Not to put myself over, but I will. Um, it's just so funny how big lists are right now. On my flyer, on the back of my flyer, I had my top like 10 favorite MCs and top five favorite wrestlers listed on the flyer, mm. which is just funny because list has become such a thing. And it's funny at that time, I think I had Booker T as my number five. Now, that was probably just me paying oh, wow. to black people. But still, nonetheless, <laughs> and there was a time this when I made this, he was uh, I believe he was King Booker and I was pretty into King Booker. But um, no, listen, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm vaguely aware of it uh obviously i know these are when his you know his title runs came um and listen he was he was the right guy like you go back and watch he is the guy who should be champion in my opinion at that time in that company because boy when you see the talent on this show
2: yeah i mean the i guess the problem with jared i mean not jared the problem with booker was by the time that they wanted to get serious with him the, the peak had happened, and all the top guys left, so he never got to get the rub from any of those guys. And yeah, him and Sting had like a match on TV, but they never worked like a major like torch-passing program at any point. Right. Earlier today, Scott Steiner is shown attacking Sting, who is just wearing the, the most marvelous bright red fleece jumpsuit. That outfit that he wore into the building was unbelievable.
1: <laughs> I really was like, that's not Sting. I couldn't believe that was Sting. I truly could not believe it.
2: And this was a great time where it's like uh, they had no they had no reservations about presenting born again Christian Steve Borden on camera. (laughs) It's like he's not the mysterious guy with the face paint. He shows up to the building looking like this and then puts it on later. We want you to be fully aware of that.
1: That's so weird. It's a great point. Like, yeah, just so you know, he's a character
2: and we're showing him before he's the character. Exactly. (laughs) Elsewhere, Kevin Nash talks strategy with his group the Natural Born Thrillers, a faction of power plant guys who Nash constantly overshadowed, just like he did to the X Division in TNA. Nash is doing his classic cool guy delivery of mumbling every word, causing Mike Sanders to ask, what did you just say? Which I think was a shoot. Sanders says something about Jared and Nash, and and then Nash does some annoying ass laugh to pop the boys. Um, So you might be wondering, why is Nash with these power plant guys? Why has he created this faction? Because it was Nash's idea. Um, it is widely believed that Nash wanted to show he was a team player, so that when WWF bought the company, they would hire him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's incredible. So
2: the cell falls apart this week, and he leaves the group, and they drop the angle. <laughs> and by the way, why were
1: they so into the term uh, SOL? I think that was just their thing.
2: I don't know why, how they got they there, but I think that, that was their was catchphrase. The
1: coolest thing. I mean, then you're going to be S O. L. I mean, okay.
2: It's, it's, I don't understand. I do know. Was there a time when that was a thing? I'm sure like JJ Dillon said in a meeting and they thought it was stupid, so they're making fun of him for it. I don't know. There's always, uh, there's always some yes, dumb backstage right. reason why they do yes, this shit. You're, especially with Nash, there's
1: always another reason. You could always count on if you don't understand it, he's bullying or making fun of someone else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much this inside joke that, that, uh, what, what, what? What show was it, Brian? Mm-hmm. Uh, when when
2: he gave, like, the Dr. Jellyfinger Was it Dr. Jellyfinger? Dr. Jellyfingers, yeah. That was, like, the third episode. And we were like, shit, we've got a year of this to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you, you're taking
0: 10, 15 minutes out of this nationally televised company's time to get off your petty digs at your coworkers, man. Like, come come on. Come on, big sexy.
2: So we are live from the house Michael Jordan built, the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. Tonight's commentators are Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson, and Mark Madden. This would actually end up being the final televised wrestling show from this arena, as WWE prefers to run the All-State Arena. Uh, they did, however, run a house show at, in this building in 2018. Um, I'm just curious, Peter, what are your thoughts on these two buildings? Because personally, the United Center seems like a more, uh, obviously WWE has a history with the all but the United Center seems like a nicer building that's actually downtown and not in Rosemont.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've worked Allstate a couple of times, and it's
2: a little bit removed. Um, it's also a shitty arena because you and I we went to that Money in the Bank there uh, yes. last year. Mm-hmm. It is a shit building. It has no real concessions to speak of, either. No, it's a very old feeling building, and there is something
1: cool about that. Um, the The backstage there is very weird. The setups all very strange. Um, it does, I like classic feeling buildings and it does have some of that. Um, not like quite as much as the old Nassau Coliseum, but it does have a little bit of classic to it, but yeah, I don't really know the business behind why they never run United Center. Cause you really would think that would be the more logical, the more logical building. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that it's all state is like, it's, it's home at this point for wrestling in in Chicago, big wrestling.
2: So the more things change, the more they stay the same. As our show starts with a Lex Luger promo, right off the bat, everyone, I want to know how do you guys think he looked? Because his face looked like dog shit, but he he was still in pretty fantastic shape. Man, Lex Lex Luger is
0: somebody who I I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a Luger apologist, Brian. Man, mm-hmm. maybe this is something I'm now realizing as we close out the year. And I have to kind of come to terms with my life and take assessment of where I'm at. But but uh, I love me some Lex Luger, and yes, his his face has got some road miles on it. Mm-hmm. We 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 all get older, you know. That's that's something we can't we can't fight. But that body though, Brian, man, that 100 that 100 body. That 100% natural body that Lex Luger yeah. is bringing to the table. <laughs> that's that's a, a something we can all aspire to.
1: I mean, I mean. Listen, I I was taken aback by how much. The weirdest thing about this era of WCW, and probably the second biggest reason why I hate it and think it's repug, is how everyone looks. Mm. Like everyone looks like shit. Uh, yes, Luger Luger changed. He became so big. He ends up. It's so weird. I mean, not to get super morose, but. He he looks like this weird version of him that seems like such an appropriate precursor to where he ended up kind of later in life. Yeah. In in sort of the uh bad physical space that he's been in for a while. Like, like you can just look at him and go, You're okay. Now I'm not trying to suggest that he was natural, you know, when he was the narcissist by any means, but he he at least looked like he fit that body. Like, this doesn't even look like his head belongs on this body. Like, he looks so strange. Um, And I'll get to other people's weird looks as we get to them.
2: (laughs) So, uh, I'm getting all my positives in here before he opens his mouth because he still had to cut a promo here. Uh, Luger walks towards the announcer's booth with a magazine in hand. He asks Matta to stand up and uses a lot of big words to call him fat. Luger then heads in the ring and brags about bashing Buff's brains in last week. Luger challenges Goldberg to a match at Mayhem, where he will beat Goldberg's streak. Yes, that's right. WCW is trying to reboot Goldberg's undefeated streak, a thing you literally, by definition, can only do once. Luger reveals that the magazine he hold- he is holding is WCW Magazine, maybe the only copy they sold. Luger points out the magazine has a full chapter from Goldberg's upcoming autobiography. Luger then calls in... Ross Foreman into the ring. He is a writer at WCW Magazine. He asks him if he uh, he asks him if he finds an article on Goldberg more important than an article on Luger. Foreman admits there are no articles about Luger in the magazine. This pisses off Luger, who puts Foreman into the torture rack. Refs enter and Luger lets go the hold. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think Ross Foreman cut a better promo than Luger did here. It's crazy because. I know for a fact, in 2000,
0: I would have gotten such a huge piece of enjoyment from seeing Ross Foreman on TV because (laughs) I was one of the few, Brian, man. I was one of the the true believers that still read WCW magazine. I think I had had
2: every issue till the final one, I think.
0: (laughs) Matter of fact, I got a check reimbursing me for the issues once wcw went out of business and they were bought by the wwe <laughs> i got a check from the wwe for the remainder of the issues of the wcw magazine that weren't going to come out that's that's how diehard i was
2: yeah how great, crunched, how great would it have been if how great would have been if vincent crunched the numbers and said actually it's cheaper if we keep publishing wcw magazine and so they just kept checking in with all the guys that weren't uh, actually on the road
0: <laughs> just which we're just gonna have, you know check in with the power plant up nope, still closed <laughs> um, but, but no, I like I. God bless Luger for trying. Like he he added some new words to the vocabulary this week, Brian. You know it wasn't Oh it too yeah. Cool. He busted out the thesaurus on the plane. He was doing yeah. That. Like I, I appreciate the effort here shown by one Lex Luger in in his promo.
2: Yeah, you would have thought at some point though he would have just abandoned uh, uh, some of these words. Like because he keeps trying like metamorphic or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an issue all year for this guy. <laughs> We go backstage where Goldberg arrives at the building. During the break, Foreman was stretchered out, and for some fucking reason, they put a, an oxygen mask on him. I didn't realize the torture act uh, caused your lungs to collapse. <laughs> we, we get can. a, uh, yep. We, I've uh, we get it, an interview. I've
1: I've seen it happen. More than once.
2: <laughs> backstage, uh, Pamela Paul Shuk, uh, is somehow still employed at this company, still doing interviews, and she's talking to Kevin Nash. Pamela Paulshock. Ah, yes, yes, of course. Uh, now now married to, uh, who was it, like one of the hosts of Inside Edition? Wasn't that it? We found out, Nate. Oh, yeah, we did uh, look that up.
0: He's like a married part. to some
2: <laughs> Dr. Oz level guy. Um, so she's interviewing Kevin Nash in the thrillers. Nash says he wants Booker in a title match tonight. Sean Stasiak then comes up to the group and apologizes for turning on them, but Nash blows him off. Stasiak insists that he will be. Uh, that he will be there for his team in the title match tonight. We then go to the
0: ring. Oh, oh for for clarification, because I already know somebody is 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 writing into the forum right now about the the marital status oh, of Pamela LePaw. So, she is married to to the the, the great Mister Roger Lodge.
2: Who? Ah. Who? Ah. Wait, Peter, do you actually know who Roger Lodge is? I, I
1: the
0: name is familiar. The name is familiar.
2: The name is Roger Lodge.
0: Roger Lodge of uh, was it Blind Date fame? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah,
2: I knew he was, I knew he was a game show host. So we go or to the ring where
0: whatever.
2: <laughs> we go to the ring where former Keep It Two Thousand guest Lance Storm wants to be serious for a minute to give us some advance uh, to give us some advice on voting. This is the day before a presidential election, after all. Lance says it doesn't matter who wins because either way we'll lose, and boy, how wrong he was. Uh, still, this was better than what happened on raw that same night where Jerry Lawler flat out told the viewer at home to vote for George W. Bush. Lance <laughs> that says ha- that happened it sure did. Ross asked him uh, who are you gonna vote for and Lawler cuts a promo on how uh, Gore and Lieberman are members of the right to censor and so he's voting for George W. Bush
1: mm. ah. <laughs> Um, no, He's to, not, he wasn't completely wrong but, but I mean still That was that was Tipper Gore okay Not Al <laughs>
2: Lance says we should all immigrate to Calgary Alberta Canada He calls for the Canadian anthem but instead we get Queewee's music yep this guy's gimmick is still going on So uh, Duggan uh, uh, Lance Storm is out here with Jim Duggan and Elix Skipper who attacked Queewee before he gets in the ring On commentary Shivani almost calls the company WWF But then corrects himself on the outside, Storm gets in Paisley's face, but she responds with a promo honestly better than the one Luger cut. In the ring, Kiwi hits a flying body press for a two. The crowd chants USA as Kiwi tries a float over, but Storm grabs him, drops him to the mat, and delivers the maple leaf for the win. Uh, post-match, Duggan uh, holds the referee at bay as Storm continues the hold. Ming then runs down and makes the save. Um, this was a short match, uh, but honestly, uh, I, I would have taken a couple, maybe a minute or two more for this off of some other things we'd get later. But, uh, hey, both these guys can actually work, and uh, for two minutes, not awful.
1: <laughs> I mean, I got to be honest, I was not familiar with uh, Kweewee's work.
2: Mm. Uh, but I'm now you have on the WWE Network, you've watched the entire Kweewee collection that they've compiled—
1: this was the moment early on where I went, why am I doing this podcast? What Do I like Brian this much? Why, why would I talk about this? Is this real? And I thought, is he trolling me every time we talk about wrestling? Is it all a troll? Because it was, I mean, this gimmick, this match, everything about it was so bootleg. There's a moment. Who who are the tag champs at this point?
2: Uh, Jindrak and O'Hare.
1: Those guys. So when they enter the ring, one of the commentators, one of the Madden or Hudson, one of those dudes, is like one of the great tag teams of all time. Now, I don't know. Is he being sarcastic? <laughs> I mean, he, when he's like, he's like, it's like Stevens and Patterson. I mean, I assume he's being sarcastic, but I don't know. And you wouldn't know it. And I'm like, I just can't believe these dudes were the tag champs. Mm -hmm. It's just, and then Queewee, I mean, what's going on? What the (laughs) hell is going on? (laughs) Well, a second ago, it was, it it was a blink of an eye ago. Do you realize the time between Queewee and the WCW being popping and dominating that, mm -hmm. that time is like how long ago it was that, you know, AJ Styles was champion. It was it was a moment ago. It was a year and what a year and a half ago, two years ago. They were in great shape. How could they be? How could they be where they were?
2: What, you're, you're saying a gimmick based off Chris Kattan's mango character wasn't what you needed in <laughs> your wrestling
1: show. Oh, uh, I I actually believe that Chris Kattan is one of the the people who's not mimicked enough in professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> although although Chris Kattan would be a giant in AEW.
0: Brian, man, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that the participants in this match included Lance Storm and Elix
2: Skipper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know your favorite wrestler of all time was was in this match, even though he didn't do anything.
0: Why wouldn't we take this TV time and maybe, I don't know, put together a tag match with these two great workers against another team of equally skilled workers? But no, we, we
2: got we got to get your man Kiwi. Kwee-wee, uh, a payday right here. Like, honestly, I, I'll say this in in a very WCW two thousand way. Kwee-wee and Ming would have been a really interesting combination. <laughs> Those two as a gimmick, I I wouldn't mind that.
0: Uh, yeah, this I I don't know what I don't know what uh, again. Landstorm, you know, we had him on the show, and he was one of the sole bright spots uh, in in this era of WCW. But I, even he couldn't save this segment for me.
2: Mm-mm. We then go to an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund and Goldberg. Goldberg hypes a match tonight with Bam Bam Bigelow, who just returned last week. Goldberg promises a violent match. Bill then says the last time he checked, the streak was still intact, which it absolutely was not. Luger then interrupts Goldberg, prompting a 2-on-1 beatdown from Lex and Bigelow. We then go to the ringside where the announcers hype uh, Goldberg and Bam Bam for later tonight. Uh, However, that's—Nate, I got some bad news for you here. Uh, Now, of all the injustices the network has committed, all of the theme songs they've edited off, uh, this might be the worst because we suddenly dip to commercial and the segment abruptly ends. We fade out as Mark Madden is halfway through uh, a sentence. That is because on the original airing of this episode, this is where they mention a feud is brewing between the WCW wrestlers and the cast of Battledome. They even showed clips of... From Battle Dome, but I guess WWF does not have the rights to that footage, so they edited it off. Now, uh, what the fuck is Battledome? Well, it was a short-lived American Gladiators ripoff in the style of UFC. Um Nate, wait, I know wait, what
0: you wait, 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 Brian Man, put some respect on Battledome's name.
2: <laughs> you <laughs> well, how...
0: you say they were a ripoff Explain Battle it to me Dome. Then,
2: because I, I have seen almost none of this.
0: Yes. You see, you say Battle Dome was a ripoff. I I say Battledome was the evolution. Of American Gladiators. Okay, Brian? Because, you know, American Gladiators, you got, you know, your six male gladiators, your six female gladiators. You know, you got random contestants. Shout out to Two Scoops, Wesley Barry. Uh, You know, it's it's very sports-themed. Mm-hmm. Battle Dome, no. You know, we're doing away with all this realism. We, we're incorporating professional wrestling elements into it. We're getting rid of the women gladiators. Maybe, maybe it's because of misogyny. Maybe it's because of budget. But we're getting rid of the women. We just got male warriors, and 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 they all have very specific, some would say stereotypical, characteristics. <laughs> we got we got a voodoo man, we got a, a redneck dude, we got a, a muscle dude, and we got a black rapper slash thug slash athlete question mark. And and they they brought these personalities to the table, Brian. Man, each week on Battle Dome.
2: And Peter, ha- had you heard of this show before I texted you about it? No. <laughs> Wait, a show? No, no. I mean, I know. of That's agenda. wild because I thought you were doing sports radio at the time. I, I assumed you guys were talking Battle Dome at the top of every episode. That's a great point. No, my
1: <laughs> um, my sports, my quote unquote, I said sports talk. I was actually just on talk talk, mm. so I wasn't forced to cover major sporting mm. events like Battle Dome. <laughs>
0: I mean, look, look, Brian, man, listen to the people associated with this. Steve Albert, Scott Farrell, downtown Julie Brown, Ed Lover, need I go on?
1: No. Oh, my. And this is all before we get to the man cow appearance on this episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got, I've got some questions for you on that one, Peter. Uh, we go back to the arena where Sean Stasiak comes out to his Mr. Perfect knockoff to, announce, to face hardcore champion Reno, but Reno doesn't come out. The crowd boos, and they play his music once more. This wasn't a Nitro Tech fuck-up. No, we go backstage to see that Reno has been laid out on a busted table. In the distance, Chronic is shown walking away from the scene of the crime. The referee then awards the match to Sean Stasiak via forfeit. Honestly, this might have been the best Sean Stasiak match I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> I- I'm just happy that Chronic spared us from having to sit through a Reno-Sean-Stasiak-Matt
2: <laughs> classic. That's how you know they're babyfaces.
0: I'm going to lay out
1: here on the Sean Stasiak uh, conversation as I offer nothing to it. Oh, I
2: thought because you are afraid it would hurt your chances of working with WWE again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Backstage, a trainer tends to Reno. Reno tells the other thrillers that two men attacked him. Nash is holding a cup of coffee, but you wouldn't know it from his energy level in this thing. Nate, what do you think the odds are that he was actually, like, on lean? Because if you remember... Like last year there was an episode where him and Scott Hall were in the front row sipping uh, cough syrup. Was that during the Scott Hall of uh, Drunk Angle? Uh no, it was during the Kevin Nash was fired angle. And yes, that's and right. That's right. Back. Though on yeah. backstage facts, Scott Hall was legitimately actually fired from WCW 2 weeks earlier and Nash keeps cutting promos about it. Cuz he's a professional. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know what was in uh, in Big Kev's cup, but yeah, it certainly, it certainly wasn't anything that would provide uh, a boost of adrenaline, shall we say.
2: Back out to the arena, WCW CEO Ric Flair comes out. Um, okay, before we even get, because we're obviously, I think we might have a little bit of a praise for his promo performance. What do we think of this look? These middle-aged gel tips. Maybe the worst look of his career. It somehow made him look older here than he looks now. This was this was middle age crisis, Ric Flair, uh, to the T.
1: See now, here's where I want to start talking looks again. This is why I can't f with this era at all. <laughs> like Cole, uh, uh, Cole Flair has had so many different looks over the years. Yes. many were pug, many were pug, but generally they still all felt like flair this is the one period where he looks like such a dad who's trying too hard (laughs) you know it's it's like it's such a terrible looking flair and it makes no sense when you think about the fact that several years later several years later when he's older he's in wwe looking like rick flair Mm -hmm. so how did this period when he's Yo, he's not that old here, guys. What is he in his late forties?
2: Yeah, like, I don't think he's crossed fifty yet by this point. He he's not, he's like 48, 49. He he's the age of Hunter. He's like Hunter's age now. And he that's looks crazy. awful. It it's so bad. Like it's just it's rough.
1: It's one of the many things that's wrong with this show. It, it hurt to see. He was not he was not the Nate.
0: Mm. I love that Peter said that he looks like a dad trying to connect with his kids because isn't this around the time where he awards David the uh, U.S. belt?
2: That would have been the year before.
0: I think. Oh, okay. It is the zone, though. It is the zone.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, in, the, it's, in, that, it's in that area. Uh, so Rick name drops some, uh, some Chicago sports teams to let everyone know he's a babyface. Rick predicts that Mayhem will be the best WCW pay-per-view in a long time. Really low bar he's giving himself there. Rick says that the huge erection Lance Storm U.S. title match will be the last one uh, ever. Rick announces that Luger will face Goldberg, a match that was already announced. He also says the world title match will be a steel cage match and the winner will be the number one athlete in pro sports. Lots of hyperbole. Rick then says he respects Steiner, but his conduct will not be tolerated. This brings out Steiner with Medeja, who gets in Rick's face and roughs him up in the corner. Booker T comes out and makes the save. Rick says to Booker T, now I know why I'm retired, considering uh, he would not actually have his last match for 12 more years. Rick, uh, due to the attack, Rick announces that he will put a straight jacket 12 feet above the ring inside the cage for the wrestlers to use (laughs) at their title match at Mayhem. Rick then promises that if Steiner touches him or any other non-wrestling employee, he will be fired. So what do we think of uh, of uh, Flair's performance here? Um, this is a time period in his career where Rick has been kind of public that he was uh, pretty depressed. He was dealing with some personal issues and just the overall state of the company uh, w- was, was affecting his performance level.
0: Mm. I mean, Ric Flair on a microphone is always going to be at least solid. You know, I don't think that there's a way possible for that man to have a bad performance on a microphone like some are better than others but given who he is and given who else is on this show and talking he's gonna stand out that being said brian man rick flair right here he is our he is our, our commissioner he is the ceo he is the person in charge of this this sporting organization i never thought that i would see a man that makes roger goodell look brilliant by comparison some of these decisions that rick flair is making right here because the fact that i don't approve of steiner's methods but i'm gonna put a straight jacket in the ring for the world championship match like how how does that right accomplish do what the way. we're looking to do
2: how do you feel about uh, uh flair's performance peter
1: uh i don't think it was bad i thought it was i thought it was nature you know i thought from inter- not how he looked but how he acted he was mm. he was cool um I just, like, I'm amused at thinking about him having to work with Scott Steiner when you think about how they ultimately felt about each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming they already despised each other completely. Um, So, uh, I thought his actual performance was not bad.
2: And interesting enough, I don't think the two of them ever actually ended up having a feud. Uh, I know they'd end up being on, like, a heel team together the next year, but I don't think they ever did a proper Flair-Steiner match. I don't think this led to that, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, Um, And
1: and you wonder whether it's because they actually hated each other too much.
2: Those two cooperating together in a match might have been a little too much to ask. (laughs) We then get a uh, Jimmy Hart interview Mm. hyping his ongoing feud with every radio DJ in the country. Here Uh, we go. This is the segment that I am most interested to talk about with (laughs) Peter. Hart name drops some of the DJs that have applied for a match with him, including Rick Dees, Casey Kasem, and Howard Stern. He says he's already beat up Jimmy Barron and and Bubba the Love Sponge. Hart runs down Chicago's own Man Cow, who then enters the scene wearing a Creed t-shirt and a leather jacket. Hart acts all scared, and Man Cow puts his hands on him, but three count makes the save. Now... I'm I'm obviously I'm interested in your thoughts on all of the DJs that were name checked here, Peter. But my biggest question is, how jealous were you watching this? (laughs) segment? If they did this gimmick in 2019, how quickly would you have answered Jimmy Hart's challenge?
1: I mean, it would have been a moment in time, you know, and to get the beat down. (laughs) Here's what I was. First of all, it's just funny that Man Cow was so big. I I truly it's funny for someone who's in radio. I know nothing about Man Cow. Mm. I I heard his name. And you can hear from his, his pipes the second he starts talking. You get it. He's a radio dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew nothing about his gimmick on radio. So all I noticed was this guy can't sell for shit. I mean, <laughs> they beat the fuck out of him, and he would not take the beat down. Like, he just kept getting up. It's like, dude, you're a skinny radio DJ. Why are you not getting beaten down by two wrestlers and a manager who are hammering the shit out of you? Like, how do they not go over this with him before?
2: Who do you—I'm thinking about it because I can't— there's really—there's not a Jimmy Hart in WC, in WWE right now who could do a similar thing, but let's say someone was doing this. Let's say—let's let's say Pat McAfee was doing this, where he was challenging all of these radio DJs. A, would you announce the challenge, and B, do you think Ebro would be willing to walk to the ring with you?
1: Oh, 100%. Okay. Oh, Ebro would definitely be psyched to come to the ring with me as my muscle. Are you serious?
2: So, like, if they're doing <laughs> a show on Long Island, you would, you would, you'd, you do the segment.
1: I got to tell you, it, it actually is a great. Ebro would love that. It's funny you say that because he would actually really be excited to do that, <laughs> and it would be so funny because I'm such a weakling, right? So mm-hmm. you're like, who's your muscle going to be? It would be so expected to be a wrestler, but when Ebro comes out and is a pretty big, jacked-up dude, it'd actually be great for a pop. Mm-hmm. Although even better if Ebro then turned on me.
2: <laughs> oh. Ebro and Pat McAfee joined, joined forces? Yeah, and they both
1: hit me, and they both beat me down. And then who do I go to for the save?
2: So uh, three count comes to the ring. Wait, and... wait, 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 oh. Brian, man. Wait. I, I
0: haven't done this in a while. <laughs> I haven't done this in a long time, and the listeners know what I'm about to do. I'm reaching in my pocket... And I'm throwing a flag on the play for Jimmy Hart because Jimmy Hart went out of his way to name all of these illustrious radio DJs. But not once, Brian, man, did I hear him call out Tom Joyner, not once did I hear him call out Steve Harvey or Donnie Donnie Simpson, Simpson. exactly, and Love It, Dr. Dre, like Jimmy Hart, the the, the Starbucks Wild, Wendy, Mm. nothing. The qualifications for, for your contest, Jimmy Hart, seem seem a little, uh, seem a little skewed, shall we say.
2: Uh, let's just say WCW know who their audience is. At point. <laughs> let's put it that way. We're not that far removed from rap is crap.
0: Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> so two count comes to the ring, and believe it or not, Nate, we actually hear their music. This is a new song that WCW actually had the rights to, so it is intact on the network. We get a clip from Thunder where Shannon Moore and Shane Helms kicked Evan Courageous out of uh, the group. On the mic, Moore and Helms say their backs are no longer sore because they're not carrying Evan around anymore. Out next are the Young Dragons with Leia Meow. The Dragons in three-count brawl before the tag champions... You said Leia
1: Meow, correct?
2: Yes. (laughs) All right, continue. Uh, The Dragons in three-count then brawl before Peter's favorite tag team, Jindrak and O'Hara, get in the ring and make this a three-way. Uh... The dragons. It's like demolition, by God. <laughs> the dragons and two count team up to beat up the, uh, the tag champs more hits a famous error on Jindrak. The tag champs then block double suplexes and reverse them into their own a nice little big man spot. Uh, we, we then get some, you know, launches to the outside. Everyone's kind of brawling all around the dragons, try to launch to the champs on the outside. but They get caught and dropped on the railings. Shane Helms hits a variation of an inverted DDT on Yang, but Evan Courageous runs in, makes the save to absolutely zero pop from this audience. I don't give a fuck about Courageous. This then leads to a shantan bomb, and Jindrak and O'Hare uh, retain the tag uh, titles. Um, I will say, I thought this was a nice little showcase to make these guys seem like really, you know, big deals. I mean, you can... You know, we can argue about whether or not they had the talent for this, but I thought it was at least well-booked to make them look good. Uh, Post-match, Kaz Hayashi sends Evan into the ring, and everyone kicks his ass. As all the losing uh, wrestlers beat on Evan in the ring, the tag champs have words with the Battle Dome Warriors ringside, and of course the... The camera completely misses this. Back in the ring, a maskless jamie Son, Jamie Noble, makes the save for Evan Courageous with a chair. Um, A lot happened here post-match. What what did we think of this whole segment?
1: I had stopped watching by this point. (laughs) But in hearing about it, I just want to say, sounds great.
2: So you're telling me you stopped watching this episode of Nitro at this point? Um...
1: Isn't this the second time we saw Lam Meow? No, no, no. This is the first time. Okay, then I'm still, I think I was still there. Sorry, this is <laughs> like before I checked out.
0: <laughs> <sighs> you know, Brian, man, I'm a big fan of the Young Dragons. Mm-hmm. And, and that man, Kaz Hayashi. And while this wasn't a great match, I think they did the best they could to prop up Jin and O'Hare. By putting them in there with uh, two count and putting them in there with the Young Dragons, two teams that they could work off of. The part that I didn't really connect with, and I'm not alone because nobody in the damn uh, United Center gave it gave uh, a damn about it either, is when we had the returns from mm-hmm. uh, Evan Courageous and then later on uh, Jamie Son. And I think it's because they haven't given us a reason to care about these teams, and so when they split up it doesn't matter because we didn't we didn't uh really think anything about him to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I'm I'm mad the camera the camera guys missed the uh the interaction with the Battle Dome Warriors cuz that's what I think would have helped this show out in the ratings in the quarter hours. <laughs> Every quarter hour you got to go to that ringside camera and and get T money cuz T money is uh what's what's bringing in the ratings right now.
2: Uh now Nate, I know whatever disappointment you felt with that lack of uh of a close-up to the Battle Dome Warriors was instantly removed when we mm. cut to Mi Smooth backstage. Yes, Mi Smooth teases opening the door of his limo, but stops himself. The announcer says that Ric Flair's latest reinstatement must be in that car. An episode of a, <clears throat> an episode of AEW then. Oh, wait, wait, out. wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait, Brian, man, wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, another flag on the play because I know this is a wrestling trope where we have like the limo or the Hummer outside, and who's coming in? It's a surprise. But again, I think this speaks to Ric Flair's decision making as a leader. This the middle of November in Chicago. You just gonna have this man sitting outside in the cold in the damn
2: car? He was, was inside gonna, the arena. That's disrespectful, Ric Flair. <laughs> So an episode of AEW then broke out as DDP made his way to the <laughs> ring. Uh, apparently, this was a big return as DDP had not been on TV since he walked away all those months ago. They actually stuck to that angle. Um, you talking about the, uh, the
0: lemon re- in his beard promo that we, we covered?
2: Yep. And, and 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 what a way to come back. <laughs> uh, DDP says that he, uh, just me thought he was out, they pulled him back in. He says that he had a non-televised match against Booker T a few weeks ago in Amarillo, Texas, and that before the match, he was bummed because of all the crap that was going on in this company. But when he came through the mm-hmm. curtain, he heard a pop that blew the roof off. By and the way,
1: I, lied. I watched this segment, too. I, I want to apologize. I watched <laughs> this segment, too. Go
2: ahead. DDP had a moment of clarity and realized he's living the American dream, and he's back, and he's jacked. DDP is then distracted by the Battle Dome Warriors, CODA, DOA, The Commander, and Team money played by Terry Cruz. <laughs> DDP asks uh, the Warriors if they want to get it on. DDP then brings out Buff Bagwell, the cat, and Rick Steiner as his backups. Apparently, this was also Rick Steiner's return. The cat tells the low-budget karate warriors to jump the rail. Uh, In case you forgot what year this was, Buff calls the Battle Dome guys queers. Uh, This was muted in the original broadcast, so I'm glad WWE restored the audio for this. Rick Steiner goes through all of his catchphrases, and the Warriors jump the rails. Security is quick to pull off the Warriors, but then Buff says, WCW1, Battle Dome, nothing. Uh, a lot going on here. I guess we're bringing back Paige so we can, you know, kick off this hotshot Battle Dome uh, war here. Uh, but my first question is to you, Peter. Um, let, let, let's let compare uh, Terry Crews here to, uh, I, don't, I don't know, his appearance on Open Late. Which do you think was more successful?
1: It's a very good question. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) I'm not 100% sure is the problem. Um, I just, I've forgotten that, I got to tell you, when everyone talks about Terry Crews and wrestling, I'd been completely checked out, so I didn't really understand what it was all about. Mm -hmm. But what I was more taken aback with was that when DDP comes out, first of all, how does he look the exact same then that he looks now?
2: The dude has always been 45.
1: Yeah, which is like both great for how he looks now and not yes. as good news for how he looked then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But also, he was so obsessed with using inside business language in his promo, like the whole thing. I'm a shoot, oh cheap pop. Like the, he was at a point where they don't even remember what entertaining. And like I'm not, it wasn't a bad promo. Like he mm-hmm. was still over, and the crowd at this point, they're just happy to have someone out there who's not wee so they're they're. I'm not saying they're not into it, but it's like at this point, everyone had lost any ability to, to say normal words that would truly pop a crowd. It was like even DDP was just so inside baseball. Who are you? You're just trying to pop the boys? It's just yeah. such a weird time.
2: He, he still has really good delivery. The content's not there, but what you're saying uh, I think really would – Captured how I felt watching this whole show because, uh, not to disappoint the viewers, I, I have not been listening. Uh, I've not been watching any of the episodes from August to here uh, that we ha- that we did not cover. And it's very clear over the last two months what's happened to this company is um, this is just a lame duck period uh, for them. Uh, they think they might be getting purchased by someone else. There's not a great deal of excitement uh, in the booking. They're not really building anything um, at the moment, everyone's going out there and doing their job. Some of the younger guys are, you know, taking advantage of, of the spot they've been given. But yeah, you watch this and like Paige, I think Paige is such a good promo. He can't help but be entertaining. But yeah, I mean, what did he really say here? Um, none of it, he was like using intern, like, like he's using like shoot stuff. And then the only thing that was actually clearly scripted for him was to call out these battle dome guys.
0: <laughs> I mean, Peter's right in the fact that DDP is still one of the most over parts of the show. And yeah, it was good seeing him back. And I don't know, though, because this is my main event. This is this is the reason <laughs> I wanted to watch this episode so many months ago, Brian, man, because I vividly remember having my world collide back in 2000, you know, because I, I was a religious watcher of Battle Dome. Again, the premier sports entertainment show of its era. Mm-hmm. And to have it collide with WCW, this once great wrestling company, I knew this was going to be amazing. But the first thing, or one of the first things out of DDP's mouth when he addresses Battle Dome is he talks about how low the ratings are, which was very true at the time. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, these if these guys are jokes, then what does you fighting with them and ultimately beating them, what does that even mean? Because you beat somebody that you've already told us was a joke. So, I love seeing Terry Crews out there. I love kind of this weird time period where WCW just throwing everything up against the wall to see if they can get a little bit of buzz, but it didn't work. Like I loved Ernest Miller. I I always get a kick out of Ernest Miller's delivery. Uh, Your man Buff. uh, Buff was on a whole other thing, a whole other level this week. Uh, I was not expecting. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, like I was not expecting. Granted, it's a different time, Brian. Man, but still, I was not expecting that had word to be thrown at me. And I was like, oh, wait, wait a second, And I think even Scott Hudson at the time was like, oh, there there he goes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think this was a really interesting kind of slice of, of time when you look at this company that is trying anything it can to get back to where it was a year and a half, two years ago. And unfortunately, this wasn't it. Like this wasn't what was gonna spark people's attention. This wasn't what was gonna get people talking at water coolers. It wasn't even what was going to get people talking on message boards because outside of, you know, a very select few friends that watched WCW at the time, I don't know anybody that remembers this Battle Dome invasion. And and it's sad because it it could have been maybe, I don't know. I don't know if, if the way that they could have done it to make it actually be resonant, but
2: this wasn't it. I mean, I doubt Terry Crews even remembers this. Uh <laughs> We'll go backstage where Pamela interviews Sean Stasiak. Stasiak says he has nothing to do with the attacks on Reno and Palumbo. Back in the ring, Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner team up against Sting and Buff Bagwell. So yes, Buff went backstage just to make another entrance two minutes later. Madden says he Oh Brian,
0: oh, rem- real quick, real quick though. I, I don't I don't know if the listeners are aware of this, this little tidbit, this little factoid I'm about to drop on him right here, though. Mm-hmm. Uh your man O'Hearn from the Battle Dome Warriors, the pretty boy. Yes. His wife is actually Medeja at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, Scott Stein is freak Medeja. That's actually his wife at the time. I don't know if they're still married, but at the time they were they were a thing.
2: Well, she's got a type, I guess. <laughs> Madden says he can't remember the last time he saw this much talent in the ring, and in his defense he was busy while Raw was on. So Jarrett gets the fir- uh, gets the first attack. Um, I got to be honest, this match was. You know, if we talk about people going through the motions, that w- that's what this was. Like this, you could have told me this was a house show match. Everyone kind of did their big their spots. We got to see their moves. Uh, the finish comes when Buff hits a blockbuster, but Jared then decks him with the guitar. Jared and Sting then battle on the outside of the ring. Steiner puts Buff in the recliner. The referee has to just to ignore the fact that the entire mat is covered in guitar pieces and uh, calls the, uh, the 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 submission or whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, this match didn't do much for me, and it's. The thing that's so funny about this time period is how they're really that they're they they still have a few stars like they still have a few stars signed on their roster mm. like Sting. But who how, do, you,
1: who, who do they, In total, they have Sting, Flair, Goldberg,
2: Luger, D.D.P., Booker T, DDP Nash, Nash, and Jarrett would be at the bottom of the tier of those guys. Okay. But you yeah. still so have like a lot of and like what is Sting doing here? nothing got right. a promo Sting's not in a, in, 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 a, in a feud um yeah it's just wild that you look at this and they they still had a pretty impressive roster all things considered
1: yeah yet they still managed to make the show terrible here's the question I have for you because mm-hmm. uh, I know as much as you're mocking this stuff you do really enjoy it in some way what what did you enjoy is there anything unironic about what you enjoy about this episode
2: I mean, I like I seeing my friends. You know, I like seeing my friends again. Uh, I, about this particular episode, because I guess for me, it is always fun to kind of do the memory lane thing because I I was still a big WCW fan at at this time period. I wasn't aware uh, of how awful it was. Um, I'm also in middle school at this point, so, like, I, I wasn't the most critical when it came to this stuff. How dare and, you? And, and I think a thing that, that <laughs> kind of gets forgotten is that this is a time period before streaming. This is a time period before uh, you know being able to watch matches online. Um, it, on demand is not a thing. So you kind of are happy to just get the wrestling that they give you. So even though this match kind of sucked, I'm sure as a kid I was still like, I'm getting to see Jeff Jarrett. It's been a week since I got to see Jeff Jarrett. He did the guitar thing. I like seeing the guitar thing. <laughs> right, That's probably where my head was at at the time.
0: Okay. Yeah, and, and and as for me, like I I think, you know, because I was a little bit older than Brian at the time, I knew the company Man, you were was, still into, it. Man, you were yeah, still into and it. I was I was into it until they closed the doors. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think a lot of that, Peter, is brand loyalty. And even if your brand isn't great, even if your brand is borderline trash, I think it's still your brand. And people are creatures of habit. Like there's a reason why. Uh, you know, the president has a, a stronghold of a certain percentage of the country, and regardless of what he does, they're still gonna rock with him. because it's it's your brand and you're tied into that. And me, I was a WCW fan, I was an NWA fan. You know, they they were they were my wrestling company, and and I felt about them the same way I felt that that sense of pride when Outcast got on the stage at the Source Awards and said the South got something to say. Unfortunately, WCW. <laughs> <laughs> didn't ha- didn't have a lot to say in 2000, but I was still rocking with him till till the bitter end.
2: So Alex Wright, no longer Berlin, comes out with Disco. The duo are now known as the Boogie Knights. Uh, in their pre match interview, Disco translates Alex Wright's German. Disco claims that Wright says Chicago is the greatest city in, in America, which gets a pop. Disco then claims that Wright says he will uh, rename the U.S. title the German title, which gets booed. <laughs> the announcers remind us that Alex Wright speaks perfect English. U.S. champ General Erection then comes out with major guns. Uh, These two have a a bit of a match, which reminded me how great Alex Wright is and how shit uh, Jim DeMint is. Morris uh, hits a delayed leg drop for a two, and Madden says a leg drop never wins anymore because Hogan was suing the company at this time period. Uh, The finish comes when Disco gets on the apron with a chair, but the MIA make the save. Wright goes to the top but gets knocked off, and then Morris hits the no laughing matter moonsault for the win as Mark Madden says, fly, fat ass, fly um yeah not uh it, it is interesting how this match was between two current wrestling trainers but uh i don't know i'm just i just can't get excited for general erection ever and if you remember he had just won the u.s title and they did this segment where like the entire roster came out and like applauded him and everything and i don't even remember at the time i was like wait is this guy is he seen as like a locker room leader is he some veteran that everyone like unabashedly loves like this just is not connecting with me
0: I don't see how.
1: It's so good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of no uh, so good, Peter, like, I think Brian's right. I forgot how much I liked Alex Wright. And, like, I don't know why the dude didn't have a bigger career in North America. But it's like, yeah, because
2: he's still pretty young at this point. Right, Brian? Right. Yeah. I mean, they got behind him with the whole Berlin thing. But I just don't think. He's
1: 25 at that point. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's when he first showed up at WCW. He was like 18. It is wild how good this guy was at his age. And I don't think the Berlin thing worked because I don't think he necessarily has like a heel style like that. You know,
1: he's not that old now. He's 44. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, and I think he runs a wrestling school in Germany. If I'm not, mm. if I'm not mistaken. So, so what you're saying is
0: next challenger for Jericho in AEW? Alex, Wright, We're gonna run that back. So that tease me. would be kind of cool.
1: Don't he started it. his own promotion, New European Championship Wrestling back in 09. Uh-huh. Ooh. Okay. I, can't
2: wait till, I can't wait till Hunter you buys guys should it. Start a, your next podcast should be about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just reviewing Alex Wright's
1: promotion. <laughs> Just digging into German wrestling.
2: <laughs> so for uh for some reason, we then go to a sweaty ass hacksaw Jim Duggan, who cuts a straight to camera promo this was just uh this was an okay boomer promo at its best talking about how America just isn't what it used to be hacksaw says that only 30 percent of Americans will participate in the presidential election actually it was 50 percent Duggan says the choices aren't great but Americans are to blame for that um Peter I'm curious because you grew up in the DC area um what was your political involvement uh in, in the November in November of 2000
1: um well I uh, voted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a very. This may come as a big surprise, but I was a really huge Al Gore guy. Um, well, because you're sar- yeah, sarcastic didn't you're... about that being a surprise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was pretty dialed in. You know, at a ver- I-, I grew up in a pretty political household, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm not one of these Johnny Come Latelys who um who started talking about politics in 2008. I was I was very in in you know, in 2000 and very like. That was sort of the beginning of me truly losing faith and deciding that none of it mattered that much when yeah. the 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 Tennessee screw job happened to Al Gore <laughs> or the Florida screw job, I guess. However you want to call it.
2: Well, if he if he had carried his home state of Tennessee, uh, Florida wouldn't have mattered. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean that, that this was a a interesting turning period, and this is what has been so interesting for us going back and watching this time period is just seeing like where was America at this time period, and there's. There is a there is kind of a, a a pre-2000 uh pre-911 innocence to this promotion that I kind of uh that I kind of enjoy. Like I I guess it's so interesting looking at wrestling today where we are such a politicized country yet because of tr- Trump's connection to Vince and to WWE they will not touch it at all, which is so wild because in the past WWE would always sort of run to anything that could get them a little bit of cheap attention. If you remember back in 2008, when they had that Barack versus Hillary match on raw. Yeah. um, And now we're in a time period where we have had the most pro wrestling president ever. And quite frankly, would probably be willing to do an angle on WWE as president, (laughs) but Vince and and company know not to go near it.
1: It's, you know, it's, it's one of my uh, favorite things about them as a company recently is like, Truly realizing that even though you could celebrate, you know the fact that the president of the United States is in your Hall of Fame has shown up to events many, many times, done angles, been stunned, although terribly, still was mm-hmm. stunned. I, I appreciate that they know to not touch it with a ten-foot pole. There's mm-hmm. like, there's absolutely no win for them in in doing it, and considering. The suspicions of 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 the of the political leanings of the people at the top. Considering you think about the fact that Linda, you know, is, yeah, was a part of the administration. I think um,
2: uh suspicion is a is putting it very uh, politely. I would say yes,
1: yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever, however way you want to describe that assumptions that we all and and, and unlikely conclusions that many have come to. Mm-hmm. I think it's really. I personally appreciate it. You know, I, I mean, I I would not. Listen, I know how I would feel if they decided to celebrate Trump. So I don't know. I mean, this is certainly one thing I think would be very hard to knock them for their dissociation from politics, though. I'm assuming they still will do as we get closer to elections. Some like you should go out and vote stuff. I'm guessing they will do that.
2: Yeah, I I am curious to see what will happen uh, when Trump is no longer in office, because Take this for what you will. I remember at the time in 2016, I was hearing from people within the company that Vince's kind of idea was that he was interested in doing something there, understood that it wasn't a great business decision. And again, this is just what I kind of heard was that the idea was that they would not mention Trump until the election was over. Everyone assumed he would lose, and then they would try to do something with him afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting to see if they actually follow through with that. Or if they realize he has just polarized so many people over the last four years that he's, I, I, he's I not think, touchable. I think
1: it could legit be it could legit be ten fifteen years before they acknowledge him. I, right. I think that's not shocking. That would not surprise me. It's um, just
2: so interesting when you look at because they're you know they usually run packages on President's Day uh, on WWE programming, yet they cannot show you the current president who they have Whoa. hours of footage of. I mean, well, and think about it, and
1: then, and even on Martin Luther King Day, they show Obama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they will celebrate Obama and not show Trump. So you know, it could be worse. Let me just say that. It now, could. what couldn't what couldn't be worse is the rest of this
2: show, which is why I have to jump now. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is when you stop watching.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have nothing else to offer. I have nothing else to offer at this point. But I will say this to well, anyone listening. Uh, <laughs> Please, please check out an episode of Cheap Heat. Um Nate, we should have you on the show sometime. Maybe you and Brian come on together sometime.
0: Hey, that that would be wonderful, brother. Maybe maybe we can talk about uh, a president that the WWE actually will acknowledge, and that's
2: my man Dwayne Johnson in 2024.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say the real president, and that is Jack Tunney. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> uh,
2: Peter, uh, as you jump off, thank you so much for 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 uh, you know chatting with us for. As much of the show as you are able to watch. Uh, there's a thing you usually do at the end, but I'll ask you here. Uh, you got to give us your silver lining. The one thing that completely unvarnished uh, <coughs> say was a positive on this show.
1: One thing on the show that I saw that was an absolute positive? Um. Whew, man. <laughs> this is... I mean, considering at this point they already changed the logo to something I hated, mm. Yeah, I mean, like, literally everything is bad here. I mean, listen, Tony Schiavone still Tony Schiavone, man. He was still trying.
0: Mm-hmm. He's
1: still the Tony Schiavone you get right now. He was, I thought, I had a moment where I'm like, wow, he's still putting in the full effort. So, you can watch that show, and if you're just half paying attention and want something to nod off to, like, you will still have Tony Shivani soundtrack. So... I'll give it to Tony for the, the one, one silver lining.
2: Well, thank you, Peter, for, uh, putting up with as much of this nitro as you can. I, I- did the
1: best I could. I love you both. <laughs> <If
2: you're fine. laughs> well, Peter, uh, continue, uh, enjoying your holidays and, uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, man.
0: Take care. Bye guys. Uh, you
2: too, brother. Peace. So Nate, it's just you and I now, which, uh, honestly feels, feels appropriate that, uh, because if we're being honest, this this is how every single conversation uh, that you have with someone about WCW should go with the other person leaving halfway through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, this was our holiday party here, and you can't just, you know, monopolize your guest time, you know, especially when we talking about – Buff Bagwell and, and and Lex Luger and and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You need to give them some time to decompress and enjoy the sights and sounds of the season. So I have no problem with Brother Rosenberg uh, heading over to the uh, hors d'oeuvres table instead of talking about Booker T and Pamela Paulshock with us.
2: Speaking of Pamela Paulshock, uh, she is interviewing Booker T. Booker says Nash will get his title shot tonight, and he's glad Flair is back to set everything straight. Booker says he'll die before he gives up the title. Spoiler, he would lose the title at the next pay per view. Booker then ends the promo with a catchphrase that didn't quite stick. Uh, Nate, I don't know if you remember this one. He says, Booyah, and I'm gonna get with ya. You remember this? <laughs> Uh,
0: I, I vaguely remember the the booyah phase of Booker T, and I don't know if it was a shout out to uh, to uh, the hip hop culture or if it was a, uh, an allusion to Stuart Scott, the late great ESPN uh, anchor who is no longer with us, but popularized that phrase in, in the modern lexicon. But yes, uh, he went through a bunch of them. You know, of course, yes. he has a classic. Don't hate the player, hate the game. But then uh, he went through. Uh, you know, he got booyah. Uh, there was another one that, that he tried that I don't think worked. Uh, but yeah, if I'm not mistaken,
2: was... I think Don't Hate the Player, Hate the Game was actually born on the next episode of Thunder, which would have mm. taped right after this Nitro. <laughs> so I think he instantly realized, okay, this one's not working. And that, and that, that's, there's a reason Don't Hate the Player, Hate the Game stuck. Because mm-hmm. it's actually, even even
0: if you kind of break it down and, and it doesn't 100% make sense, at least it sounds cool. Yeah. As opposed to, Booya! and I'm going to get with, with you. <laughs> like, sir, you don't have my consent to get with me.
2: <laughs> so uh, I will say it's a shame that Peter had to leave when he did because, you know, we're about to get into my silver lining here. Bam Bam Bigelow comes out for a squash match with Goldberg, who gets mm. a massive pop. This dude is still incredibly over. There might be only 4,000 people in a 20,000 seat arena, but they are all here to chant Goldberg's name. Bill gets in the ring and takes a big splash in the corner. Goldberg gets the heat as Lex comes out on stage. Go- Goldberg decks Bigelow and turns his attention to Luger. Bigelow takes advantage of this with a backdrop suplex. Bigelow uh, goes up top and hits the diving headbutt, but only gets two. Goldberg fights back, but Bigelow goes for the greetings from Asbury Park. Goldberg slips out, finishes Bigelow with a spear and a very impressive, uh, impressive jackhammer, considering Bam Bam's size. Um, you know, me, I'm always here for a Goldberg squash, uh, whether it's, it's 2000 or 2019, I don't care. Um, I love, I love seeing Goldberg. I love seeing Goldberg, uh, doing his thing.
0: Yeah. It was good to see Goldberg and it was a good use of Bam Bam Bigelow at this time. Um, uh, you know, obviously past his peak, but he could still provide a good uh, opponent, good cannon fodder for Goldberg. And I actually liked that they were building to the Luger match. Now, granted this match probably would have been better three years, three years earlier, <laughs> even as green as Goldberg was. I I, I don't look forward to seeing uh, the Goldberg Luger match coming up. But uh, fortunately,
2: since this is a one off, I don't have to. So, yeah, we don't. And I will also say it's so good to see this guy back as a baby face. Like, yes, <laughs> this makes this. It just it just feels right. It just feels right. So, Scott, Steiner, and uh, Madeja are then in the ring because we haven't had enough of him tonight. Steiner rants on Flair and Booker T before heading to the announce table. And of course, it's Steiner, so he had to get in one slightly racist line claiming that Booker's mother doesn't know who his father is. Uh, I'm sure Hunter was at home taking notes for his program a couple <laughs> weeks later. Just getting all the good material. So it is now main event time as Booker T defends the world title against Kevin Nash. On commentary, Steiner rants about how he owned Booker at Havoc despite losing by DQ, and he is now the uncrowned champion. Nash pushes Booker into the corner, and the crowd chants, we want pump, in case you're wondering how Booker T's title run is going. This is 2000 Nash, so let's see how little he can do. Uh, he gets his head butts, he does some shoulder blocks, you know, he does the knee, the high knees, he does it all. Um, they then brawl around the ring. Nash tries to hit Booker with a chair, but Booker uh, stops him, hits a chair shot of his own. Guess we're not calling DQs in this match. Back inside, Booker hits a flying fist for two. Uh, he tries to do a whip, and he hits a knee lift, gets the axe kick, does a spin-a-rooney, but then accidentally hits the Harlem sidekick on the referee. Uh, Booker goes for the finish, but Sean Stasiak runs down and hits Booker with some brass knucks. Nash pulls down the straps. Uh-oh, he's going to do the powerbomb. But Stasiak then hits Nash and puts Booker on top. Stasiak revives the ref for the pinfall. So our babyface champ needs Sean Stasiak's help to, to beat Kevin Nash. Post-match, Stasiak uh, gives Nash the, cro- the crotch chops to zero reaction from this crowd. They don't give a fuck about this guy turning babyface. Simon <laughs> then beats up Booker as the show ends. Um, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. That was Sean Stasiak turning babyface?
2: I Yes, he. I believe so. Even though he had turned on Thunder already, I guess we had to prolong it a couple more days. Um, yeah, this was. Um, I think this entire thing was. This segment might have been this era of WCW in a nutshell. Um, clearly, they're gonna get behind Steiner. You can tell they're building this guy up as as a monster. The crowd's actually kind of into it to the point yeah. that it's overshadowing the current match. Booker T is still putting in work. He's still trying, but he's dealing with unmotivated, uh, lazy uh, veterans. And then you have uh, a young guy trying to be pushed, uh, but the audience doesn't care because it's poorly booked and he's not a guy anyone cares about. So this entire segment really was this era just in a microcosm.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the thing that stuck out to me watching this match in particular, having you know, a little bit of space since the last time we saw Booker as champion, is the fact that it felt like the company was only promoting him as champion in name. Yeah. Because they weren't giving him the support that you need to build up a new champion. Like, putting him in there with a guy like Nash, who, yeah, Nash has a big name, but he didn't do anything to make Booker look good in this match. And then you, I know you want to get Stasiak over, but to have Stasiak be the reason that Booker wins the match just makes Booker look weak. And so I think, yeah, the fans, you could tell they, they want Steiner and there's no reason that the company has given them to get behind Booker T. Cause they made this guy, despite the fact that he might be the hardest working guy on the roster right now, they've made him look like a chump time after
2: time. Yeah. I, I hear everything you're saying, but I think that so much of it was honestly, I think out of his hands and I think out of the company's hands. If you look at Scott Steiner who they would put the title on at the next pay-per-view and who would be champion until that final nitro. And this guy, they, they put everything behind him. He took out Goldberg. He took out Nash. He took out DDP. They were purposely having him take out every single legend. And I think the time had just passed. Um, the time where this audience, this show could have maybe gotten someone. I, I, I honestly think the best thing they maybe could have done, um, and we even talked about it off the top there about like Southern hip hop and everything that's going on there. If they just said, fuck it, we're going to try to be like the black promotion and we're going to push Booker T really strong. And we're going to get them booked on like every hip hop station around the country and maybe try to do that. But I I don't think that they even had the resources to do that at that time. Quite frankly. I mean, this show was just so all over the place. Um, It should be noted that this was a portion of time where, Vince Russo has left, but because he was dealing with some injuries from, uh, having been an an in-ring character, um, and during this time period, Ed Ferrara is booking the show and is told, just continue Russo's storylines. This is so obviously a lame duck period. They don't know if they're going out of business. They don't know if they're being sold to someone else. They don't know if they're going to be losing their time slot. And it just feels like it's, this was a two-hour show that really was just there because it needed to be. Like, I didn't think anything – no storyline advanced. Uh, no. E- even though we had two returns, we had we had Rick Steiner, not as big a deal, but DDP came back. Like, that should have been a big deal, but it was there because of this forced, you know, Battle Dome, uh, you know, product integration. So it, it was – I'll say the show was not – it didn't have any of the glaring, awful moments – that that we have seen earlier in our experiment, but uh, it still was kind of depressing watching this and just sort of seeing um, this company absolutely headed towards the end.
0: Yeah, when you look back at this show and realize that out of all of the things that we watched over the span of this episode, the only one other than Steiner and Booker that would really get uh, a push going forward was this Battle Dome invasion. Yeah. (laughs) which which not only was continued but they actually continued and flew the Battle Dome wrestlers to London I believe on on one of the next episodes which well, is that, just ridiculous
2: You mentioned that it's very interesting coming up uh in the future weeks there is a Nitro from London they do some shows from Australia and they also run a pay-per-view that weekend in Germany and all of those shows actually did really well this company still was kind of popular overseas so
0: Well it's very much like TNA like even in the worst days of TNA whenever they did those London shows those would be amazing because that crowd I guess was so starved for American wrestling
2: yeah well and you talk and like if this show I mean if this company had had clear leadership at this point which it obviously doesn't I mean it's its parent company has no interest in it. Uh, its parent company is trying to get it off the books uh, as quickly as so, so what as you're can. saying
0: is WCW is like Will Smith, and they're looking around for, for Turner, and they're like, how come he don't love me no more,
2: man? How come he don't want me? I mean, yeah, let's use that <laughs> as, as our analogy. It just – you can <laughs> watch it, and – it's clear that there is no like there's no one at the top saying, okay, how do we turn this into a profitable company? And it's, it's just, it's such a shame that this company is in this lame duck period, because even though I said all the things I said about it, I do, I don't think, I don't think this company had to end the way that it did at this point. Like, is it rough? Is it bad? Yes. However, do I think WWE could have purchased this company, could have retained, um, maybe the Wednesday night time slot and then maybe the Saturday night time slot and continue and and maybe could have figured out a way to make this thing profitable. The, The problem was, is that there really was no one at the top of the food chain who was trying to make this thing work. I mean, they were making content for the sake of making content. I don't think anyone even at this point really thought that it going away completely was a possibility. I think they kind of felt like, and I don't know if you've had this. I've certainly had this before. Um, at the at, at at some of the media companies I've worked at, um, and fuck it, I'll say Yahoo because they're they're done. Uh, but you know, you kind of work for a company, you can kind of feel like, okay, we're in this weird middle period. Where's it gonna go? Uh, are we going up? Are we going down? Could there maybe be a purchase coming in to turn this around? I mean, there's been companies that I've worked at, and, you, and you're you maybe there at a certain point. You're like, oh, that's not what it used to be. And then it actually can rally and turn around. And I do think that WCW maybe still could have, but it needed to just, um, it's a shame because like it's in this lame duck period and it never got to have that next chapter that I think it, it, it could have turned things around.
0: Yeah, and I, I still think, like, like you're saying, that WWE-backed version of WCW could have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Because they they could have told a lot of stories and and you certainly would have been able to retain those bigger names. Uh, you some of them probably wouldn't have wouldn't have stuck around because they would have actually had to work <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to just you know cruising along and catching checks. But it's it's a, it's one of the great what ifs because yeah like there's there was still an appetite for this show. Like you know people can say that the night show ratings were were in the toilet or whatever. But you compare those Nitro ratings to the ratings of Raw right now, and it's like, yeah, Nitro's still on top because there was an appetite there. And those fans that never came back after WCW closed its doors, who knows if they would have stuck around for a revived, revamped version of WCW Helmed by the WWE, because well, I think you, you wouldn't have kept everybody, but you would have kept a a significant portion, I think, of those WCW fans.
2: It is interesting you mentioned this, because I think when you look at uh, TNA and even AEW to, to, uh, today, I think a lot of that, and maybe more so TNA, but I, I think a lot of TNA's audience was a disgruntled WCW audience that just wasn't interested in WWE, and I am curious if that same... Uh, feeling would have prevented them from sampling a WWE WCW or if most people just wouldn't have cared I think if it was just oh hey I'm still watching Thunder I'm still watching it on TBS it's still the same guys um it's just the production values are a little different now and the booking style has changed I think when you look at the number of people that stayed with WCW um during that time period you even look at TNA and the fact that where TNA's base level was like they still never went below like a million on on impact um there was just people that wanted to support that product and liked those guys, and I, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a it's a what if you never know. But what we do know is, uh, are the ratings of this night's episodes? Um, Raw did a 5.1, while Nitro did a 2.5 rating. Uh, now, just to give you an idea of how much wrestling and the TV landscape has changed over the last 20 years, Raw now averages about a 0.8. But uh, you know, it's important to remember that Vince McMahon is a genius, and that wrestling has never been more popular. Um, it, it is interesting when you look at it because, you know, doing research for this episode and reading that Turner did not want to lose at this point. Turner did not want to lose WCW programming. They just didn't want to have um, that company on their books anymore. It wasn't until the next year when the AOL Time merger, um, the, the AOL Time Warner merger goes through, and they decide we don't want this on our Channel at all, we, we we think it's low wind. We think it's below us. Now it is interesting to see that Turner is now back in the wrestling industry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with with Jamie Kellner out of the way. What would happen if they like actually stuck with it through those twenty years? Um, mm. That that obviously is a huge what if. Who knows? You know, obviously we we, we can't know for sure. But it is um, it is interesting to look at that and look at those figures. And even though people like to look at this period of Nitro as just like the absolute awful worse because of where it was and obviously it's it's still shaky and the creative's not great and it and it obviously is much smaller than where it had been a year before the numbers it was doing was still higher than your average cable rating yeah and it's it's interesting because i think you know
0: you talk about would the wcw fan accept a version of wcw that wasn't 100% 100% authentic, and I think a good portion of them would, because if you look at TNA, it, it was very much we're watching this because we don't want to accept what the WWE is, is giving us. We don't want to accept that our favorite performers aren't being allowed to shine, so I think if, if they had done it in good faith, if, if they had come to the table and said okay, we didn't create these stars, but we're going to continue to make them look like stars again, using maybe some of that NXT mentality that, that wasn't around mm-hmm. back then, I think it could have been successful, but you know, we, we are where we are now. And, and who knows if, if that happens, Brian, and let's say, you know, WCW is on TV for the next 15, 20 years, we don't get to impact. We don't get a W probably, you know, we, we, we don't have some of these other companies that are prevalent in this kind of wrestling renaissance that we're in right now. So I guess things worked out the way they were supposed to question mark. <laughs> uh, I mean, you do bring up an interesting question because
2: I think that had, because, WWE, because the
0: WWE would have kind of a de facto monopoly.
2: Exactly. Which they ended up getting eventually anyway. And, and, yeah. and really all it is is like, okay, at this time period, WWE is producing another show, maybe two shows on Turner networks mm. that, still maybe get canceled six months later who knows you know uh nothing is is for sure but it's just interesting to look at um i don't know It, it is it is just very interesting to look at where this landscape is here where would we be two decades later had this purchase gone through um it's it's really tough to say the one thing i will say is that had wcw been allowed to continue um i i think wrestling as a whole would be a lot more popular now than than it is i i think that what what kind of and to bring this now to 2019 i think the thing that is so kind of um short-sighted to me i guess because I, I feel there's a lot of what wwe is doing right now that's extremely short-sighted but one of which is that this desire that they need to put nxt up against aw and they can't allow this competition to, to to you know kind of spring up where i feel like the evidence really goes to show that when wwe stopped having any sort of competition um they really stopped challenging themselves um they really stopped innovating and if you even look at that one night where they you know that the, that monday night war period where they went uh, head-to-head with uh with tna that forced them to mend fences with Bret hart and bring him back yeah like it forces vince to go out of his comfort zone a little bit and and and, and really shake some things up and and see things slightly differently um and I think that when you had, uh, you know, when WWE, when their, their talent philosophy really changed a lot over this past, uh, you know, eight years. And I think a lot of that was Hunter getting in that position and understanding that actually we are in competition with Impact and ROH and all these smaller companies for talent. We're not be competing with them for for eyeballs, but we are competing for talent exactly. and changing the philosophy of who they should sign and who they should push. And, 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 and that. You know, I, I think that's only helped their business. And, and it's interesting to see what they're doing right now when you have Raw and SmackDown, which are both these very stale properties. And you have NXT, which is like the hottest thing. And quite frankly, I think NXT and that that roster is being wasted. They shouldn't be the guys that are, you know, trying to suppress a potential uh, number two competitor. They should be on Raw. They should be on SmackDown. Yep. These, these TV deals are worth a lot more than AEW. Like, AEW right now, like, I don't see them ever like being an actual threat to WWE ever. I mean, they might lower what what WWE is able to get for television rights fees, but they're never going to be more popular than them. Definitely not on a worldwide level.
0: No, I mean, as as good as rallies or checkers is, and I, I love me some rallies. <laughs> they're never going to be McDonald's. And so, but but there's a there's a world that we're living but in. Keep where... into this analogy. Yes.
2: They taste much better than McDonald's.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. And, and 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 both of them can be profitable in the right. same world. And so I think that my biggest disappointment with you know the quote unquote Wednesday night wars, besides some of the tribalism that I've seen from the fans. Is, uh is oh, that Yeah, which is a whole nother whole nother podcast for a whole other day. But I think like there's a way that AW and NXT could coexist on separate nights and both of them could draw in near a million viewers. Because mm-hmm. we've seen, like they there's, there's kind of this group of 1.5 to 2 million eyeballs that watch these shows. And in terms of like the shared viewership, it's probably more than half that watch both shows. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you separated those nights, both shows could flourish. But we know that's not what a uh what nxt is on to uh wednesday nights for one of their primary goals at least in my opinion brian is to siphon off the aew viewer and so it's it's limiting to aew but i also think it's limiting to nxt in a, in a bit because in a way because they're not being allowed to be as good as they can be because their primary goal is to play defense and not play offense
2: well when you look at nxt and how a i don't think it's Especially now, it's not serving its purpose, which is to be a developmental brand. It's not right. serving that purpose at all because it, its pur- its purpose is to get TV ratings. Uh, I don't know if this means they now need to come up with a fourth show that actually is a developmental show on the network, which is just sh- the guys who need to, you know, get some TV time and be in front of people, and no one watches it. And maybe you you put a lot of your older guys down there as trainers. Like that show needs to exist. Mm. Um, so what and,
0: you're saying is we need a showcase for my man
2: Tino Sabatelli <laughs> Well, we essentially we need we need a um, you know you, you okay. So you look at these live shows that they're running in front of like a hundred people in Florida. These NXT shows yep. where you get all these guys who really need to be on TV but won't be allowed to be put on TV because they're afraid they won't draw ratings. Mm. Like what's that like that Babatunde guy? That dude? Like yep. he needs to be wrestling in front of cameras. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't like. These little these little rinky dink things where these guys aren't making any money like it's kind of you know sort of a waste. Um,
0: And I guess to AEW's credit, like I know they've gotten criticized for it. You can say some of the women are not ready for TV, or maybe a group like Private Party needs mm -hmm. more polish. But at least they're giving them time to go out there on a big stage and 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 learn.
2: Right, or even Dark. You know, like maybe NXT needs a a network slash YouTube show that's. More along the lines of like an Obw mm. kind of expectation. Um, I don't know. It just when I look at that. What uh, if they brought back? What if they
0: they made another uh, developmental territory and they just called it WCW?
2: Ooh, I would be fine with that. Honestly, why not? Why not? You own the copyright. Just like why not? Call it WCW. I'm fine with it. Uh, you got to flare around having be uh, have him still be CEO. Yep. Uh, but listen, <laughs> we did. It, it's you know it's 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 a holiday. We shouldn't spend too much time sitting around complaining. Let's end on a, on a high note. Let's get our silver linings out. Uh, you know mine. It was that Goldberg squash. There's no two ways about it. What about you? I feel like I know what it's gonna be, but let us know what your, what's your what your silver lining for this. Yeah.
0: Interview? Why 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 ask questions that you already know the answer to, Brian? Man, stings jumpsuit. I mean, that, that was hot. I, I'm going to have to see if I can find one of those, maybe in velour for the holiday season. Uh, but no, the, the, the un, unquestioned silver lining for me is the reason we're all here this week, Brian, the Battle Dome Invasion. Mm-hmm. The origin of the Battle Dome Invasion, the birth, the spark of the, the crossover that changed the world where we, we saw Terry Crew. Like, just imagine how many stars were made out of this segment, Brian, man, you had Terry Crews, and that was about it. But Terry <laughs> Crews is a is a major entertainment star, and maybe he doesn't get to that point if not for Battle Dome.
2: Oh no, no, he was cast uh, in Idiocracy off of this appearance. It yes. just took- <laughs> Um, but hey, that is hey,
0: our- I, 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 one of the small details that that happened during that uh, pull apart that I love is everybody else in Battle Dome. They just got like the regular outfits on. Terry Crews committed so much to this bit oh, that he took off his jacket and like had tearaway pants and took the pants off and was just standing there in like his boxer shorts with no shirt, ready to fight. And I appreciated Terry Crews's
2: commitment. Putting the money in T money, he understood what it meant to be a TV character. Um, <laughs> but that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> you know where to find us. Nothing's changed. I'm still at Brian Maxman. You still got Nate Mosaic over there. Um, and as you know, everyone uh, you know, listen, our listeners are wrestling fans. They're used to being uh social outcasts. So I would say as much as we've enjoyed talking to you, take those headphones out, talk to your family. Mm. Uh I know they've been sitting, you know, you've been sitting in the corner uh for the last two hours by the tree, refusing to open your gift so you could listen to this gift. But go back, see your family, and when you do, remember these immortal words from Nate Milton.
0: Yes, thank you, Brian Man is Great to see you in this holiday season again, my friend, up here on the satellite. I uh, want to give a shout out to our our party guest, uh, Brother Peter Rosenberg, who's over there enjoying the hors d'oeuvres table and, and hearing more about the, the greatness, the legacy of, of one uh, Buff Bagwell. Because uh, that, that's the reason for the season is Buff Bagwell. But you're right, Brian, man. We, we, we need to spend time this holiday season thinking about our families and thinking about our loved ones. So I'm going to leave us with the words of Slim Calhoun, featuring Andre 3000. All these lonely girls, they want to cut. It's okay. That's all right, girl. That's okay. Keep calling me and begging me and blowing me up. It's okay. That's all right, girl. And that's all right, WCW. Because it's okay. I'm a pioneer strap match, Jack. Judy Bagwell on a pole match. You and Billy Kittman, on a pole match. He's got the
1: still out. Last week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time, I could become
2: the WCW champion.
0: That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in, because of bullshit like this, this, this,